Tēnā koto kato and hello everybody. Welcome to the Lenton Intervention Podcast. My name is Ben Arlberg and I'm coming to you from Tamaki Makaura, Auckland. Tēnā kamihi ke te mana whenua o Aotearoa. And we acknowledge the local tribal authorities of New Zealand. And g'day, I'm Emma Strutt and I'm currently coming to you from Darumbal country in Queensland. Before we dive into our conversation today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. And finally, if you enjoy this potty, please subscribe, like, share or comment on our social media and consider buying us a coffee if you'd like to support our work. Now on with the show. The Auckland Climate Festival is a month-long festival held in Auckland that celebrates, catalyzes and accelerates climate action, an annual event that we have been a part of. On Thursday, 28th September, we are hosting a panel discussion on doing good in our community to inspire our listeners to take action within their own. The goal is to demonstrate how easy it is to get involved in existing community groups or start your own and adopt more ethical, environmentally friendly and healthy lifestyle practices. We have an amazing panel of individuals with first-hand experience in leading action, which will also feature short presentations followed by the opportunity to ask plenty of questions. The link to register to this free online event is in the show notes as well as on our website under upcoming events. Included in this panel is past guest John Berry, co-founder of Pathfinder, Livia Strub of Auckland University's The Sustainable Future Collective, Tim Johnson, convener of the Upper Waitemata Ecology Network, as well as... Our guest today. So we're super chuffed to be talking with Emma Wingrove, founder of the cleanup crew Aotearoa. With a background in sustainability, Emma has now transitioned to the zero waste sector and the circular economy as a reuse specialist. So today we're looking forward to talking plastics, the work of the cleanup crew, and how we can all take action in the community for a cleaner, greener future. Emma, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Now, Emma, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, but more importantly, your passion. Um, so I did an environmental science degree, uh, majoring in environmental science, and marine biology. When I was a student, I was walking along the beach and there was just rubbish everywhere. Um, every time I got to a rubbish bin, I had two hands full of rubbish. Um, and I kind of thought to myself, I can't really be studying what I'm studying and claim to be someone who cares about the environment and acknowledge that there is a problem and not do something about it. It's too easy for us to sit by and wait for somebody to do something um, when in actual fact, maybe we are the somebody that is going to do something. Um, so I started a I got a group of friends together and we started doing regular beach cleanups. And from there I realized, actually, this is something I'm really passionate about. It sounds crazy to say my passion in life is rubbish, um, but mine truly is. My whole life is, it revolves around rubbish now. Um, I never thought that would happen. Um, my family cracked jokes about me being a womble, but... I, I probably shouldn't say that. I'm probably showing my age, referencing the Wombles. <laughs> um, now, yeah. Now, before we carry on with with the whole story of the cleanup crew, your day job is is not too far from this whole, excuse the pun, environment as well. Similar, similar kind yeah. of space. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
after I got my degree, I worked in sustainability for a while, but I was in an office um, pushing bits of paper around a desk, really. And there wasn't a whole lot of um, change happening. I wasn't really making a difference. I was in a job where I was ticking boxes because sustainability was the buzzword. Every organization had to have a sustainability officer, but being sustainable wasn't making the money. So it wasn't a priority to them. It was kind of a you know, smoke and mirrors situation. Um, I ended up working um, with special needs children for a long time, which I absolutely loved. Not quite as much as I love rubbish, but it was an amazing, amazing job. But then a previous employer of mine became the manager of a new zero waste hub that was opening. She phoned me one day and she said, Emma, this has got your name written all over it. You need to drop what you're doing and come and work for me again. So I did. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that zero hub, because uh, when we first chatted a little while ago, um, when I told you about the Sports Gear Revived, um, sort of not-for-profit that, that we're run concurrently, you said you need to sign up, this you know, you, this could benefit you as well. So tell us a little bit more about this Zero Hub concept, because I believe there's two of them in Auckland. Yeah, so um, there's two Zero Waste Hubs. We're run by an organisation called Localised. Localised sets up various um, Zero Waste organizations around New Zealand, um, the Mahangi Waste Busters, the Onihanga Community Recycling Center. Um, we, um, I say we, the Wairau Zero Waste Hub and the Tamaki Zero Waste Hub based out in Point England. We are the only two that work with the inorganics collections in Auckland. Um, so if you're not familiar with the inorganics collections, basically you book in with your council a time and a date. You put all your stuff that you want to get rid of out on your curbside waste management, come and collect it, and it goes off to landfill. Um, so when I say inorganics, it's your furniture, um, electronics that don't work, basically anything that you would take to the dump, but you can't be bothered. You'd rather just pay somebody else to come and get it. Fair enough. Why, why wouldn't you? Um, in previous years, the inorganics time of year was known for everybody having their piles out all at once and people would go around scavenging, they called it. Um, and you'd just take what you want or uh, it was, yeah, it was everyone a mess. Had Everyone had very mixed feelings about the inorganics collections. Um, so now what happens is waste management have got the contract with Auckland Council. They go around and collect it all. And it comes to one of our two hubs, depending on what part of Auckland they've collected from that day. So we receive everything from North and West Auckland and the um, Point England site receives everything from East and South. We then um, redistribute those resources because uh, it's not rubbish, it's resources. We redistribute it to various organizations. A lot of what we get needs upcycling or fixing, repairing of some sort, uh, but also a lot of it is ready to go out the door as is. 
Um, so groups come and collect from us. There's no money exchanges hands. Um, lots of those groups are social workers. They come and get whiteware and furniture for their whanau that are in need. Um, well, some of it goes over to the islands. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had 500 kgs go out to Tonga and Samoa. Um, men's sheds come and collect from us, rotary clubs, lions clubs. But it's all save saving stuff from going into the landfill and then getting it out to the people that need it, which in my opinion, like that is amazing. Like, she was absolutely right. That has got my name written all over it. Best job ever. Yeah, it's a concept of repurposing, reusing yeah. before the bottom part of, of the recycling and, and ultimately discarding. So that's exactly. a real... Okay, yeah. brilliant. So I got on board for the environmental impacts. Like obviously, like circular economy, zero waste, like how good is that? But then hearing about all these social impacts that we're having as well, it was just a double whammy of awesomeness. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I know moving on to just like general plastic problem now, we, we've talked about various aspects of plastic pollution on the potty previously, but let's set the scene a little bit before we dive into the cleanup crew. Um, on your website, you've actually got some really great printable games under the resources tab with various facts and figures regarding you know plastic and general rubbish problems some of the numbers are just mind-boggling like even with the New Zealand specific figures you know like 25,000 kilograms of plastic waste is littered in New Zealand each day I mean for a relatively small country that is huge um, so Emma talk to us about our plastic problem how big of a concern is it in New Zealand let alone globally um, yeah, you're right. It, it is mind boggling. And I've read some of those figures and I've thought, no, that can't be right. So I've delved in and I found more research and more places saying, yeah, those, those are the figures. That is the size of the problem. Um, I mean, for example, in New Zealand, we produce, um, I think it's it's 735,000 tonnes of plastic packaging per year. I couldn't even begin to picture what that looks like. That is just insane. Um, so that's plastic packaging. That's mostly your soft plastics. Here in New Zealand, we have only got capacity to recycle 700,000 tonnes per year. So we don't have capacity to recycle the same amount that we're going through. But even if we did have capacity, we're actually only recycling 33% of that here in New Zealand. The rest of it goes overseas. We just make it someone else's problem. We just send it away. Now, a, a big um, misconception, and it's the same in Australia, is that you go for a walk along the beach and a lot of the discarded plastic and, and other rubbish comes from somewhere else, comes from Southeast Asia, it comes from wherever else, but it's not ours. Whereas actually, it's quite often the opposite, isn't it? It's actually our own rubbish. Is that, you know, is that what you're finding? Yeah. The case here? Um, so here in New Zealand, definitely. It, it is ours. I hate to say it, but it truly is. Um, unfortunately, there are other places in the world 
that aren't responsible for it. Um, there's somewhere in, uh, it's a Lebanese city and they, it used to be a beautiful beach. Now it's a trash mountain that's over 40 meters high and that's not their rubbish. Um, there's also beaches in Bali where 25 ton of rubbish washes up onto the beach from other parts of the world. Um, most of that is not theirs. Um, but yeah, definitely in New Zealand, when you're walking along the beach and you're finding all that rubbish, that is ours. And 80% 80, 80 of the rubbish that ends up in the ocean comes from the land. It doesn't come from boats. It comes from us, you know, your, your CBD. Um, bins don't get emptied or people chuck their rubbish on the floor or whatever that eventually ends up in the ocean and and how i mean are we talking about stormwater networks that that wash things out are we talking about um the other extreme of ex extreme climatic events where there's a lot of you know a lot more water washing basically our land and taking that out? i mean what's what's conscious how is it getting out there um, so exactly that, what you've said, um, it's stormwater drains, it's sewerage, it's the wind, it's extreme weather events. Um, that all, there's uh, keep, keep New Zealand Beautiful. They've done extensive research into this and they found that most of it is coming through the stormwater. So really, so, so honestly, it doesn't matter where you are, if you see rubbish anywhere, within you know you don't have to be by the beach that could still end up in the ocean because once it enters you know a bit of rain or whatever into the storm water makes its way through all the pipes if it bypasses certain catchments or filters or whatever the case is that's out into the ocean so that's really yeah it's that simple isn't it sadly yeah yeah wherever it starts out you can always guarantee it's going to end up in the ocean and i mean Ideally, we stop these problems at the source, but realistically, that's that's no. not happening. Um, so talk to us about the cleanup crew. You established this back in 2014. Um, tell us about the inspiration behind it. Yeah, yeah. So um, like I said, I was walking along the beach. There was all this rubbish. And I thought, someone should do something about this. Oh, wait. I'm someone. Oh, no. So here I am, nine years later, taking responsibility for it still. Um, but what I really wanted to do is show that anybody can do something to make a difference. You don't have to be a big organization with loads of money backing you. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to walk on the moon. One, I was a uni student at the time. I was one person and I said, hey, guys, come on, there's a problem. Let's get out there and do our bit. And for nine years, some of my faithful friends have been there at almost every single cleanup. We've accumulated other people along the way. Um, we've become a registered charity. Um, it really kind of snowballed. But now why why did you feel the need to start the group? Because in Auckland, we have Sea Shepherd that does beach cleanups. We have sustainable coastlines. We have a council. We have why, why did you still feel the need? Now, it's important to note 
most that won't know this, but you live on the North Shore of Auckland, and that has something to do with that as well, doesn't it? Correct. Um, so those organisations, they do exist and they're doing wonderful things. I don't ever want anyone to think that I think otherwise. I don't. It's just um, whether they existed or not, there was clearly still a problem. Um, there was still rubbish all over the North Shore beaches. There were very few cleanups occurring on the North Shore at the time, if any. Um, and all the wonderful work they were doing unfortunately it just it wasn't enough there needed to be something else the problem was too big for just a few groups to tackle it it needed more people so i joined the movement and just out of interest because you've got nine years worth of data now to to think about what would you say are the most commonly picked up bits of rubbish where you do your cleanups that's actually a really interesting topic because we've been covering the same beaches for so long and all of the beaches we can expect something different um for example there's only one beach on the north shore that we've ever found hypodermic needles but we've found them there more than on more than one occasion um, Browns Bay, for example, will be the soy sauce fish, those little with the red lids, um, and lollipop sticks. Um, each beach has got its own sort of flora of rubbish, I suppose you could call it. So with that kind of rubbish, it's, it's you know, you say like Browns Bay, because Browns Bay right there i'm surprised takapuna is not the same but browns bay there's a lot of fish and chip shops and a lot of sort of eateries right there so it's a kind of place where you know you go you get your stuff go sit at the beach and eat and then discard i'm not saying do it i'm just saying people do it they discard their rubbish but the point on that is the things you're already noting those are not things washed up these are things brought to the beach and left there with the things that you collect do you find a split? Is there a split between what's washed up? Um, and I'm not just talking about ghost nets or whatever, you know, anything that's actually been washed up versus what's actually been brought to the beach. And I guess the third one is, I mean, if it's by, and some of them are by little estuaries or whatever, you know, what might have been washed down a river. But how much is actually brought to the beach and left? Because this is, I haven't really thought about this. This is actually, there's an easy solution. <laughs> take your rubbish home it's not what you're seeing you're coming to the beach and something's been brought there it's people are bringing it physically mm. honestly 80 90 percent of what we found has been brought to the beach and left there that's so disappointing and a very very large amount of it is actually alcohol bottles and cans some of them even still in well not so much now but used to be in still in the black bag so they bought it went to the shop bought it came and sat on the beach drank it put all the rubbish back in the bag or or not just left the whole thing and off they go kfc mcdonald's all yep. sorts of takeaway yeah fizzy drink bottles fishing line so, so i would say then i mean is this fair to say because i follow sea shepherd and, and you see a lot of the bigger campaigns in doing australia where they go to remote 
parts of, of the country or islands and the beach cleanups there are, are, are pretty much what's washed up, right, based mm. on currents and so on. Yeah. But it's almost fair to say that in urban settings, it's a complete opposite. It's actually not necessarily what's washed up. It's actually what us humans Gets brought there. are bringing to the beach. Yeah, That's a just... lot of it doesn't look like it's ever even touched mm. the water. It's all just sitting there waiting for us. Yeah. I wonder if Auckland's uniqueness is also a little bit because we're technically, well, in my terms of we're not by the ocean. You know, we're in a harbour kind of setting. Mm. So the current's a little bit different in terms of what we're exposed to, bigger currents that could bring things from up the coast, down the coast. We might be a little bit more insular in this in this regard. Um but yeah, that's that's. I don't think anyone's ever thought of that. I haven't. You know, you mm. go do a beach cleanup, yet ninety percent of the elements are actually things that were brought there in the first place. So, yeah, you know, if you went to an extreme measure and say, okay, let's do an experiment for a month, start the month, we'll fence off this place, we'll do a beach cleanup, let's see how much of yeah. of, of rubbish is there at the end of the month. If we've not allowed anyone on that beach, chances are it should be pretty clean then. Yeah, I would say so. Huh? Really gets you yeah. thinking. Yeah. So cleanup, uh, the cleanup crew is not just about your monthly, almost monthly meet, sometimes twice a month, meeting at a particular beach, doing a cleanup. You do a little bit more. You do a little bit more in terms of the advocacy side of things. Um, I'm calling it the three pillars of what I've seen um, in terms of community, education, advocacy. Tell us a little bit more about that side of things as well, because it's not just the doing. It's also important to, to educate, isn't it? Yeah. Um... Because it's sort of a side project on top of full-time work, I've never been able to go as deeply into it as I would really like. Um, but we really do try to focus on education um, and just getting people thinking a little bit more, having these conversations and thinking about where your rubbish ends up. And um, another aspect that we want to try and do more on is all the rubbish from a beach cleanup ends up in the landfill, um, which is arguably better than it being on the beach or in the ocean. Um, but it's still a problem. The landfill is still a problem. Um, so then it comes back to the other pillar, the education, the communication, the waste minimization um so we want to try to reduce what we put into the landfill from the cleanups by finding other channels which is really hard because we're talking about rubbish right like who who wants our rubbish what purpose does it have anymore um, especially when it's been in the weather exposed to the elements it's not in great condition um, so we found quite a few art groups over the years that have used various components. Um, we were working with a lady for a while who was collecting cigarette butts for an art project. Um, we have collaborated with the North Shore Resource Centre to make hacky sacks made with, uh, filled with the plastic noodles that we collect. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just so many so many different angles to it and we i mean i personally i i'm very excited by all of them and i want to try and do all of these things all at once and i'm only one person so it's very hard 
Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to cover. So of course the important question here then, if you're so busy, how can people either get involved or support your work? The best thing to do is come to the beach cleanups. Um, the more people we have at these cleanups, the better. Um, we promote them on our Facebook and our website. Um, but even just sharing our events. If you can't come to an event or if you don't live in New Zealand even, you can t still support us by sharing our events, getting them out there. The more people that see them, the better, because then more people will turn up, right? Um, and if you can't do any of that, then the next best thing is don't ever buy anything in rubbish. Go zero waste. Don't contribute to the problem because at the end of the day, that's the only solution. Picking up the rubbish is kind of the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, which I don't really like to say because it sounds like I'm diminishing the cleanups. I'm not at all. It's a very, very important ambulance. But at the same time, we really need to stop the problem at the flow. And that is all this disposable plastic all this waste so if you're not going to come and pick it up with us just don't buy it please thank you <laughs> so this this um this episode is actually quite important because at the start of the year we said we wanted to focus on some more positive stories and we've continued to going down <laughs> the spiral yeah. of depressing stories of the state of it's our environment but... though, right? exactly mm. but you know this is this is the start of 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 the first of, of many more to come, hopefully. But, you know, taking action, we normally end off our episodes with, you know, let's end off in a positive. How can we take action? But this has this whole episode has been about taking action and, and you've shown the the power of what one single human being can do. Um, now, you've touched on it, but let's ask the question a little bit more directly. You've spoken about changing our behavior. Uh, how important it's around consumption isn't it so absolutely let's make something tangible here a couple of tips two or three tips what what are the key areas you know we emma mentioned earlier the the, the statistics statistics around soft plastic soft plastic packaging where, where where is it it's everywhere it's our food it's our it's anything that we consume whether we, we electronics uh shopping online everything is plastic um, compostable bags end up in, in the rubbish bin because most people can't compost. Recyclable plastic, well, what kind and, and who? where do you drop it off? It's it's all plastic. So where, where are two, three key areas we can really start to focus to change our behavior on how we consume? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Um, you said compo compostable packaging. So I'm going to take this opportunity. Um, Compostable and biodegradable products are not the holy grail that we think they are. Um, a lot of people, especially the biodegradable bin liners, I see a lot of people buying those for their kitchen bins and they think that they're doing a good thing. But then they're taking their full rubbish bag and they're putting it into their rubbish bin that Auckland Council then comes and collects and it goes into landfill. It is not going to biodegrade or compost once it gets into the landfill. Those are anaerobic processes that require oxygen 
and they're not going to get that in a landfill. So they're just going to sit there and fester just like your plastic normally would. Um, people are buying compostable picnic cutlery, um, cups, plates, or going to the takeaways and getting it in the compostable packaging and then putting it in the public rubbish bin where it goes into the landfill. So it's not actually making any difference whatsoever. I hate to say it, but it's not. Um, and if you are buying compostable or biodegradable packaging, just make sure you are reading the instructions and like they, it's going through the correct process at the end or else it's, it's no different really to just buying plastic. Um, so that's number one. <laughs> number two, um, we are consuming, we're going through 136, um, 136 kgs of single use plastic per person, like per every single person on the planet. So what are we up to now? Seven point something billion people on the planet. There is enough single use plastic on the planet per year for each person to have 136 kgs of it. So that that's quite a lot. So thinking about your your purchases, do you need the single use product? Do you need the 50 cent plastic bag from the supermarket or can you use a reusable one? Do you really need that Snickers bar in its single-use plastic? I mean, possibly, yes. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's about making smart choices, reducing how much we are using and producing. Because then you, you go down the rabbit hole of it's not even just the environmental impact of the existence of that plastic it's the environmental impact of the production mm -hmm. of that plastic um, and then the environmental impact of recycling it or getting rid of it in whatever way we're going to get rid of the single use product that's been created with a product that never actually goes away I mean the, the the plastic packaging you you raise a good point with a chocolate bar it's it's you know we we've had a lot of episodes on on what we eat, how we eat, the foods we should be eating, and what comes in plastic, ultra-processed. Um, yeah. So, you know, some processed foods you kind of can't avoid to some degree, you know, if you're buying oats and things like that, but for the most part, the majority of food that that's, is, is ultra-processed or unnecessarily packaged, like let's slice up some no. pineapple for you and wrap it up in plastics. Like, exactly. It comes in or peel a banana and then put it in plastic. <laughs> So, you know, I think, I think yeah. there's some easy ones you can do. When I say easy, it's, it's, it's you know, we're, we're getting a bit lazy in some areas. In other areas, it does make you think and realize how much plastic is, is in our lives. Um, you know, I know I still consume a lot of plastic. Um, you know, my yeah. general waste at home is fantastic, really reduced, but I still produce a lot of plastic because so yeah. much comes in plastic. Interesting, yeah. you, may, you mentioned the compost. Well, in, um, I don't know if you're part of Auckland yet, but we've just had delivery from the council of now compost bins for each household. Yes. Comes with the outdoor bin, the indoor bin, yeah. um, and three rolls of compostable, uh, you know, I guess 
it's going to be get disgusting in, a, in, in summer, I think, all these compost bins lining the street. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, I know there's been a big expose with all the Auckland Council bins in the, in the city where they've got the recycling in general and all of that just gets sent to the tip. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of greenwashing and there's a lot of, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us to rely on other people, it's just not going to happen. No. Um, so, look, uh, consumption is huge. Change of behavior, being a, awareness is important. And I think what you've raised is hugely important that, you know, what people are cleaning up is not just, oh, uh, it's, it's, it's all fishing nets and it's stuff that's come from other countries or it's a container ship that's, you know, tips something mm-hmm. over. It's what we're bringing. It's what we're consuming at the beach. Mm-hmm. If you're having fish and chips or food at the beach, why take a compostable cutlery? Take your own steel knife and fork from home. Mm-hmm. And that's reusable. Metal will last your whole lifetime. Um, yeah. You know, take take your reusable containers to take away. I do that now and pay $30, $40 for a nice stainless steel container, whatever. Spend the money, but you just reuse that. Wash it. Yeah. You're not going to leave that expensive thing at the beach, are you? Okay. Um, exactly. So I think there's, there's a lot of behavior changes. But most importantly, what you've shown us is that, and you've mentioned it, you don't need money. You don't need skill sets. You don't need much. You just need passion. And you have shown that and you've demonstrated that. And it's a huge inspiration. I cannot wait for you to be on the panel with the other amazing guests. They're going to share similar stories to show anyone and everyone that either join an existing group or just bloody start one yourself. Mm -hmm. So, Emma, thank you so much for sharing your story, your passion, and most importantly, showing us how easy it is to take action for ourselves, for our community and for our planet. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. 